Good morning, Hope Church. It's great to be together. Let's just start off um, by praying together. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help me to convey what you've put in my heart, Lord. May they be your words. And God, I pray that just as your word says, I pray that your words would um, accomplish the purpose for which you sent them and that they wouldn't return void, but they would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And God, I do pray for my brothers and sisters watching this morning. I pray that they'd open their hearts, open my heart, Lord Jesus, to what you have to say. And may all the other things just fall away, Lord. We thank you, God, that you're in our midst. We thank you that you're present this morning. And we worship you, we, we, we glorify you and we lift you up. Amen. Amen. So the title of this message is The God Who Sees. And I want to read from Genesis 16, 1 to 16. That's the whole chapter. So if you have your Bible, please join me. Genesis 16 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave girl named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong that I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now she is the one that she's pre she knows she is pregnant and she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram said, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her that day. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahay Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, 
and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is an amazing story with so much to learn. And it's funny how as humans, when we have a problem and, and we know that God is God, we try to help God out. And that's exactly what happened here. We know that um, Abraham had been promised, um, covenant promises by God, that he would be the father of of many people, that he'd be the father of many descendants and, and of um, descendants that would be too numerous to count. But there was a big problem. And we know that from this text, don't we, that Sarai couldn't have children. Abraham's wife, Sarah, Sarai, pardon, couldn't have children. She was barren. And so there was a big problem because there is nowhere you could really go, no no way around it. I'm sure we've all got someone that we know or perhaps we've been that person who is unable to have a child and it's a very lonely, very frustrating, difficult path. And we know perhaps more so that in Sarai's time, because uh, having a child was so closely linked with being a woman, if you weren't able to have a child, you were considered less of a woman. You were considered so much less, so uh, despised. And socially, barrenness, as presented in several biblical stories, caused a woman to experience reproach and even a form of social death. And we know this because... For example, in Luke one uh, twenty five, when John the Baptist is finally given to Elizabeth, who was a barren woman, she says, the Lord has taken away the disgrace that I have endured among my people. So being unable to have a child in uh, the community was seen as uh, you're a curse. You're you're. There's something really wrong with you, and we know that that's something that uh, we in in our culture today we don't see things like that. But there are cultures where um, that is still that is still very much of their beliefs and and values. And Sarah was in a very very tough, very lonely, lonely and depressing place. And also we have to remember that the book of Genesis starts off in the Garden of Eden with with Adam and Eve. And Eve is described as the mother of all living, the mother of all living. And there's this idea with the woman of she's able to reproduce, that there's bounty from her. She's the mother of all living. She's She is a woman because of what she is able to do so there is so much um so much of a woman's identity was tied up in their purpose and then so we we have the garden of eden with eve and adam and and fruitfulness and then just seven chapters later we meet sarai in Genesis eleven thirteen, and she's introduced as Sarai was barren. 
she had no child. Imagine being introduced at like that today. If we all went and we introduced ourselves as I am unable to have a child, imagine how vulnerable we would feel if that's how we were introduced or how we were seen by others. She had a very, very difficult um, issue and a very difficult journey that she was on. So she's, uh, in Genesis 11, introduced a Sarai was barren. She had no child. And then immediately after that, we're told of the call of Abraham and God calls him from his country. It's really exciting. In Genesis 12, God calls him to go to the land that God will show him. And Abraham is promised that God will make him into a great nation. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget that these were real people. Sarai was a real person. I know that when I'm stressed, I don't know about you, but I know when I'm stressed, I grind my teeth. Actually, I have quite problems with that. And I hunch up tight. And a lot of people suffer from back pain. From Let's imagine that those things perhaps happened to Sarai. She was really in a stressful point of life. There was probably tension within their marriage. I can imagine that Abraham, at the point that he gave in to just sleeping with Hagar, he was fed up because he, he gives in. We read it, didn't we? He gives in so easily to um, the petition of his wife. They were probably fed up. They were really in, in a place of tension. They faced um, individually a huge problem and collectively a huge problem. So they hatched a plan and they helped God out. Remember, God had promised Abraham that he would make him um, the father of a great nation, make him into, make basically make him uh, many people come from his line. So they hatched a plan and helped God out even though they had that covenant promise. And we know that God's promise, and this is a lesson for us today, when God promises, we just wait. We don't have to help him. We just wait because God's promises are yes and amen. In Jesus, God's promises find their yes and amen. And we don't have to stress. We don't have to push doors. We wait and we trust God. God because he will never fail. God cannot fail on his own promises because he wouldn't be God. God is a covenant keeping God. And so they hatched a plan, didn't they? Hagar was the servant, the Egyptian woman, and she was there, you know, their help in the house and, you know, bringing food to them, cooking food. And she was brought in to give Abraham and Sarai, a child. It was Sarai's idea, wasn't it? And we can see that they must have been pretty desperate. I mean, come on, if you're in a married couple, it's you have to be in quite a desperate place to invite someone out. When we, we know today those things aren't acceptable. But you'd be in a very desperate place. So Hagar was just brought in. She wasn't asked 
She wasn't invited. She was just brought in to get a job done. So they must have been very, very frustrated. And Hagar conceives, doesn't she? It's so funny in the Bible how we read that, you know, Abraham slept with Hagar and she conceived in the very same sentence. She conceives and it happened very quickly. And Hagar starts to look at Sarai with contempt. Almost like I'm pregnant and you were never able to be pregnant. I have all the power now. And Sarai gets cross. So this tension erupts in the household, uh, resulting in Sarai dealing very harshly with her. In some translation, it's Sarai beat her. In some translations, it's Sarai abused her. Whatever, we don't really know how it looked. But we know that something very bad happened to Hagar. We know that Hagar was, you know, not really in the right by looking at her her mistress with contempt. But but Sarai takes it to that next level and she she um, deals harshly with her and kicks her. No. And Hagar flees. Hagar was a slave. And she has to accept the sinful plan of of this married couple who keep her. We don't know the age of uh, Hagar. She might have been quite a lot younger. And we can see how she's really quite disposable. But after she receives that abuse, she decides to flee. And she's a vulnerable woman. She she really is described all through Genesis 16 as the servant woman or she. She is a vulnerable woman. She's not really um, given a, a lot of description. She's an Egyptian woman, but she's in a vulnerable place and she flees. I understand Hagar's urge to run away. I think we've all ran away or toy with the idea of running away from our problems. So she runs into the desert, doesn't she? And Hagar is found by the angel of the Lord of hosts by a spring and he calls her by name. That's the first thing he says. He says, Hagar. And that's really interesting, isn't it? The Lord knows us by name and he calls us by our name. I love it when people remember my name and I really try hard to remember other people's names. And there's something about being called by name is that you have been remembered. And that's exactly what happens there by the the spring. Hagar is found by the angel. Abraham and Sarai think of Hagar as a slave, a foreigner, a possession, someone to be used and then abused, mistreated and neglected. But God looks upon her as a real person, as his person. And he knows her name and he speaks to her gently and calls her. Then the angel says to her, where are you going? Where are you going and where have you come from? And Hagar says, I, let's look it up. Hagar says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And then 
the angel of the Lord tells her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And actually, this is a really great part of scripture to look at as to how we are to be with authority. We're told, aren't we? And I think it's Ephesians to submit to our authorities, whatever that is for you. It's different for every one of us, but we're told to submit. And it's so interesting that the the word of God is absolutely co uh, coherent. It's the same message running through from that was in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The same uh, the same command is given to to submit to submit to authority. It's not the advice Hagar wanted to hear. The treatment she had received from Sarai was probably quite horrible. And the last thing she would want to do, I assume, is go back and submit herself again to such inhumane treatment. But that is what God is telling her to do. Then Hagar. So Hagar's in a really stuck place. And this is really what I want to talk about today, is that in that very difficult place in that desert in the after what she's um had to go through and how really she has uh received all of the consequences of a sinful plan of other people it wasn't really her idea she was brought in she was manipulated into a plan but she receives the consequences and she suffers the consequences and she's in a tough place in the desert, Hagar has a revelation of God as the one who sees her. And the angel, doesn't he? He says, I will I will give you many descendants and you will call your son Ishmael. The Lord promises her a child. And she has this wonderful revelation of God as the one who sees her. She says, you are the God of seeing in other words, out of all the people in this world, out of all of the the things going on in this world, much more significant than me, I'm just a peasant girl, I'm just a servant, and I have nothing. With all the billions of the things, go- things going on in the world, God sees me. That was her revelation that day in the midst of her trouble, in the midst of her pain. We don't fully know what that looked like, but we know she was in a difficult place. She has a revelation of God as the God who sees me. Hagar had the most beautiful revelation of God on that day. Not as a God who makes things easy, not as a God who reverses time, but as a God who sees the individual and knows. Hagar went from a nobody, a nobody in the desert. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to a desert. I've been to a desert. There's nothing really going on in a desert. It's miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of sand and and the wind bringing up the sand it's not an easy condition uh, kind of area to live in it's a place of nothingness and in the bible it's often uh, a place of not a lot happening and in that place she went from a nobody really a nobody in nowhere 
to someone in the eyes of the Lord. And she was lifted up with that revelation. Again, a desert is the perfect place not to be seen. Who's ever going to notice you in a desert? But in that place of absolute invisibility, God reminded her that no matter how lost she got herself, she was fully seen. I often say that, um, and Ben and I do, it's a joke, it's not a point of tension at all, but Ben is often the sort of person that will ask me, where is this, where is that? A few days ago, he's been asking me, where's my cap, where are my socks? And I often laugh and we joke together that Ben looks, you know, sort of scans, but doesn't see individual things and I don't know maybe it's me something about women I don't know but I I I look at things and I I kind of search things out and that's so the Lord I mean what a terrible analogy but the Lord doesn't just look and sort of scan But he searches us out, doesn't he? And he sees us. He doesn't simply look. He actively sees. He perceives. He watches. He listens. He sees. And my encouragement today, with all that kind of background that we've gone through, the message is really simple, is that God's eyes are upon you. God sees you. You may felt like you've been dealt a, a, a bad hand in life, all through life. God sees you. You may feel overlooked or God's eyes are upon you. You may have felt mistreated. God sees you. You may have cried many tears. God sees. God is the God of seeing I want to encourage you with all my heart today that God is alive and he is watching, he is seeing and he knows. He knows your frame, he knows your mind, he knows your family, he knows your struggle, he knows because he sees. He has not overlooked you and he is working all things for his glory. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. That's before we were born. My unformed substance. How far back in the the growing process were were we an unformed substance? God saw you before, before you were even a thought, before you were formed. God sees. And Psalm 34 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. I think of, again, of all the mistreated people in this world, God sees. So today, may God give us this precious revelation of himself that he sees. Maybe when we're praying for those that are being persecuted, when we're praying for those that are in a hard spot in life among our friends and family, 
maybe strangers that we've seen. May we pray this, that they would feel seen by God. May we all today know that the, the eyes of mighty God are upon us and following us. And may we know his presence. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this, this chapter that we read. I thank you so much, Lord that you see us, Lord. You're not a dead God. You're not a vacant God, Lord. You're not a far God. But you're here with us, Lord, and you see us, Lord. You perceive, Lord, and your eyes are upon us. Your gaze is upon us. Lord, I know it's a simple message, Lord, but you gave Hagar a revelation of that that day, Lord, and I believe that changed her. Lord, I pray that that revelation would be so strong for us today and that it would change the way we see things, change the way we see the course of our life, change the way that we see issues and problems, change the way that we see ourselves. Lord, I thank you that you're so close and that you see me. You see me, Natalie. You see us all. I thank you for my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray that you would keep on speaking to them and that they would just keep on searching for you, keep on uh, walking with you, God. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. It's great to be together this morning.